Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello and welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, a super fan of Stargate, and I'm here with Rose, also a super fan. And Malika. <laughs> That's all. Just Malika. <laughs> Today we are discussing episode 11 of season two, The Tokra, part one. So I think this is the first time we get a recap, right? Of the preview, of what's been happening before. That's helpful. And we cut to what looks like a memory. It's hazy. People are running through this multicolored tunnel. We, the viewers, are looking through the eyes of a character. We don't know who that is yet. But a man comes up and it looks like he's got potholders on his shoulders. He says, we have to evacuate. And he calls this unknown character, Jolinar. So we find out that we're actually seeing through Jolinar's eyes. Jolinar then runs to a dial home device. We see her hand come out very elegantly and daintily to plug in the address. (laughs) Why does it plug in so slowly? Like, can you not (laughs) dial faster? I don't know. Because they're rushing. You would think you'd be like, boop, 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 boop. Yes. And then the Stargate opens and she takes the time to look at herself in the mirror, a very well-placed mirror. And we find out that it's actually Carter that we're looking at. And then the real Carter wakes up in the infirmary. She has Dr. Fraser's sensors all over her forehead. It seems like she was being um, watched during this dream she was having. And she tells somebody that she might have something. Are they trying to access her? Like, Was this a planned kind of session where she tried to access those memories in some way? I think so. I think this was all all a plan. <laughs> they didn't just throw her down on the bed with the little sensors. I mean, did they her. do this like every night and be like, hey, maybe you'll dream about the Tokra tonight? Like how do they try to trigger those memories? I doubt it. I Carter has been steadily accessing these memories from Jolinar. I think she just decided, hey, you know, uh, general, now is the time to really you know, use science to try to get out these memories because they keep bubbling up to the surface. The next scene, we are in the boardroom with SG-1 and General Hammond. Carter wants to go check out the coordinates that she saw in her dream or memory. She thinks she was seeing the Tok'ra on the run. And Jack seems very doubtful that this will amount to anything. You know, he's really a Debbie Downer throughout this episode. Well, you know, these duels are not his thing. But it's disappointing because you want him to believe in Carter. And Carter is so earnest about what she thinks is happening. But he just keeps shooting her down. Well, I have some thoughts about that, though. Is he doing that because he wants to protect her? Is he thinking, hey, this is not good? Because my whole feeling is he never trusted Jolinar. Like from when we watch In the Line of Duty, I think he thinks of her as someone who's victimized and kind of thinks of Carter's like almost connecting with Jolinar as like Stockholm Syndrome. And I think he's trying to protect her from the memories and the Tok'ra and all that because he doesn't think that they are real. And he thinks she's just maybe falling, being gullible because it's it's her way of processing the trauma. I think he also doesn't believe that there is a good Gaul out there. 
he thinks they're all bad. Carter seems so earnest and so serious about this. But when she, when pressed for an explanation, she says she just knows, which isn't, I mean, I can understand General Hammond's hesitation. Tilk says it is possible that Jolinar's memories remain in Carter's mind because the Gaould and the host become one. So Carter does eventually convince the general that they should go to this planet. Jack finally says, okay, let's check it out. And in the next scene, we are walking down the corridors of SGC. But Carter needs a moment to go talk to her dad. It's a one-sided conversation, so we only hear Carter talking. But it doesn't sound like she's mended her relationship with her dad at well, all. Well, how long do you think this this was after Secrets? Like a couple weeks? Because he's he's declined quite a bit. It's It has to be longer because later on we're going to hear... He says that they cleaned out, cleaned the cancer out of his lymph nodes and that it's spread to his liver. We also know that he's moved closer to uh, the base. So I'm thinking it has to be a couple months. So where did he live before? So he moved to Colorado, didn't tell her, just moved to Colorado to be closer to her and didn't tell her. That doesn't make sense. But we don't know where he lived before, but it was in Colorado. And General Hammond overhears this conversation. Carter tells the general that she has misgivings about leaving on this mission. She feels like she's going to leave something behind. The general says, well, you can miss this mission. We can put someone else on the team. But she says, no, she can't miss this one, which makes sense because this is basically her idea. It's her brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in her brain. She has to go. So SG-1 goes to the Stargate and we're on a dusty, cloudy planet. You think this is at the beach? I wondered where this was. I mean, everything is Canada. So is this some Canadian beach somewhere? There's got to be beaches in Canada. It's a lot of ocean coastline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is like San Luis Obispo. You know what I mean? With the like sand dunes. Does Canada have sand dunes like this? <laughs> so they were no. like, <laughs> they have no sand dunes whatsoever. <laughs> They're duneless. <laughs> Do they have one sandy area? There was a commercial in the Super Bowl that was like, thank you, Canada. And it listed all the things that Canada has invented. Sanders was not included. Neither was Stargate, although it should have been. What kind of stuff did they list? Poutine? Did they poutine, make- they did list poutine. Apparently there's a lot of shit going on in Canada that uh, we Americans have no idea about. So I'm sure they have sand dunes somewhere. In the entire- all I want is poutine. If they could make a sand dune made out of poutine, I would be really happy. So Jack is being a bit of a dick again. He calls Carter <laughs> Dorothy, or whatever, and asks where her yellow brick road is. He's getting pretty impatient. He does not want to look around and he's being very dismissive. Do you think that part of the reason why he's being a dick, aside from the fact that he doesn't like Gould, he doesn't trust her, and I think he's trying to be protective, not only of her, but of his team, is also he doesn't like being reminded of when she was uh, taken over by a host because it was so difficult for him? Maybe. I think he's pretty good at suppressing his memories. Yeah, by being a dick. Yeah. That's his out. defense mechanism. Like a five-year-old child. They don't walk around too much before the, the robed people sort of spring up out of the sand. They're wearing fur hats with flaps. That's weird. They have the potholders on their shoulders. It's a weird look. Malika, do you have any thoughts about these people? I do. I do. So you know Mama likes mini skirts on hot muscled men but then when it comes to added leg warmers <laughs> and those funny felt hats that look like 
like wigs in um, English courts, but without the curls, <laughs> just like that's like the under part it was weird. But I did like it was the soldiers uniforms were kind of consistent. So there was women with the mini skirts and the leg warmers and men with the mini skirts and the leg warmers. It was great. It was burl- burlap again, though, right? More of a like um like a boiled wool. That's what it was. It was like a boiled wool. <laughs> so, I mean, we see the when we get into the caves later, why the contrast between this camouflage tan burlap uniform and the evening gown attire of the women togra. I don't I don't that contrast is so strange to me. I mean, first of all, with with a, such a gender fluid type of society where you have like, as they mentioned later, the symbiotes are genderless and they sort of take on the gender identity of the host. Although it appears that some have a preference, like Jean Lenard tended to take female hosts, so maybe there is some kind of essential gender identity. But with such a gender fluid society and such a it's such a like functional, like having to be always be on the run and having to fight for your life all the time, the tendency toward the ball gown attire doesn't seem to fit. I don't remember from the very first vision that Carter had, whether there were any men in flowing uh, outfit. But it, I mean, their uniforms make sense if you're hiding under the uh, the sand. So they were they were the right color, right? They were drab and tan, and they matched the sand dunes. They were ventilated <laughs> in the form of mini skirts because it was hot. <laughs> Yeah, the uniforms are fine. It's more the like Garsha's whole like black satin evening gown. Yeah, that's why I was thinking maybe when the soldiers come in and they're not they're not trying to intercept somebody or whatever, maybe they too change into flowy clothes. It's like, let me just throw on my ball gown, <laughs> lounge around the house. <laughs> well, in the vision, uh, Jolinar was decked out in some flowy, purpley, pinky, silky thing. I think it's just... They like the colorful outfits. When not having to be in uniform, they opt for opulence and and sort of flamboyancy. So the head guy says, we mean you no harm, but we will retaliate if you fire on us. Another guy, whom we later learn is Martuf, recognizes Tilk as a Jaffa. Tilk says he is allied with the Tauri. Carter finally pipes up and says, careful, these are gaoled. And the head guy seems to take issue with that. He says, weird, or don't call us that. And then his eyes flash and he has that distinctive gaoled voice. I think if you don't want to be seen as gaoled, don't get angry. Don't let your eyes flash and don't get that weird gaoled voice. Like suppress that. You don't want people to think that you're evil. Just a thought. Back at SGC, Hammond gets a call from Jacob. It does not sound like good news. You know, if Jacob doesn't want his daughter to be checking up on him, why does he keep calling (laughs) Her boss yeah and why does he move to Colorado if he doesn't want her to come see him it's like dude is like desperate for her love and is so have so many walls up it's really sad maybe he just he didn't come for Carter he came for Hammond and he just wanted to hang out get a beer get a electric what are those electric shock things what are those clear what are those called (laughs) baffles defibrillators Yes, defibrillators. Yeah, that's what he wants to do with Hammond. Beer and defibrillators. Defibrillator play. Back to SG-1. They are still in the standoff. Jack is still kneeling with his gun pointed up at one of the potholder guys. We hear this 
ethereal music, almost like the Knox music, and Carter and Martouf lock eyes. She calls him Martouf. Martouf looks confused and says, I don't know this woman. <laughs> I like that moment because it's almost like she's saying, you, you're the father of my baby. He's like, I don't know this woman. <laughs> never touched her. I never touched her, I know. She tells him that she knew Jolinar and tells them that Jolinar died saving her life. I'm sure you guys have recognized Martuth as J.R. Bourne, right? No. I only know him from one movie. What movie is that? 13 Ghosts. That's my movie, too. I've never heard of that movie. Well, because you don't watch horror movies. <laughs> because there are some scary ghosts. He's the real estate lawyer. No. And he's so slimy. He's such mm-hmm. a dick. All of his looks were like, that's a con- condescending dick. That's... Estate. <laughs> that's a that's an estate attorney right there. <laughs> no offense to all our civil lawyer fans. The potholder bunch still will not admit that they are the Tokra. Tilk says, if you are Tokra, we should join up, become friends. Carter basically says, Come on, guys, I know you're Tokra. Martouf looks at Carter for a moment, seems to be struck by her beauty, and finally grudgingly admits that he thinks she's speaking the truth. If Carter was not this beautiful goddess, would he be so apt to believe her? I think he wants to. I think he really, really misses. I mean, later we're going to find out more about their relationship. But I think he really misses Jolinar. And the way he described Jolinar's host was blonde with blue eyes. So I think he he really wanted news of Jolinar. And here is this um, woman who has the same features as Jolinar, right? That's all it takes. Blonde, blue eyes. Well, like, yeah, what if Jolinar had, because it wasn't like she was scouting and she's like, oh, I want her to be my host. It was a moment of desperation and she was the only person available, right? What if it had been Jack or Daniel and they had the memories of Jolinar? Would Martouf then lock eyes with Daniel and be like, oh, I trust him. He speaks <laughs> for my love, Jolinar. No. Right? No. Martouf is... A homophobe, but we'll talk about that later. Yes. I have lots of thoughts about that too. <laughs> the head guy calls off his people. He will take them to his leader, but they have to leave their weapons behind. Jack is very unhappy about this. Carter says they won't hurt us. Jack again acts like a dick and asks if she feels this with her feelings. He doesn't say, do you feel this with your female intuition? But it's he's intimating that that's what he thinks Carter that that's what he thinks Carter is basing this trust on. Jack finally relents. Tilk and Daniel say, sure, let's trust him. And they throw down their weapons. And Carter and Martouf share another meaningful look. <laughs> they cluster together. Jack thinks they're going in for a group hug, but no, it's the rings, and they are transported below the surface. Another one of Sam's suitors. So this is number three. We had uh, Jonas Hansen, Nareem, and now Martouf, right? If we don't count O'Neill and Daniel. No, I'm not counting them. Not yet. (laughs) So they seem to be in some kind of tunnel made of uh, crystal hexagons. It's an interesting pattern and it's uh, it's different than what we usually see, but it still looks like a set. It definitely looks like a set, but I kind of like the concept of like crystal grown tunnels. I just don't think they had the ability to make it look cooler than that. One of the reasons why they really should reboot Stargate so they can make this tunnel look so much better. 
Tilk has some information about the tunnels. He says they are unique to the Tok'ra. And when they leave an area, they destroy the tunnels. Tilk seems to know an awful lot about the Tok'ra. Like he boned up on them before they came here. But didn't he say before that they were just a myth and he didn't even know that they actually existed? But he did say while they were down there in this scene, he did say that when he was a working Jaffa, that he was sent out to search for these tunnels and he could never find them. So he was on the hunt for them. He believed that they were real. He just never could prove it because they would destroy the tunnels. He could never find them, right? Jack pulls Carter aside and asks her about Martouf. She says she has some weird bond with him, but she doesn't know much more about it. Do you think O'Neill is jealous? He seems obviously jealous to me. Yes, I think he's jealous. And that's part of his cranky attitude. I, well, I don't think he became jealous until obviously Martouf showed up. But now his crankiness has more of an edge to it. If it wasn't for the boiled wool outfits, our tooth would be pretty hot. And then we go to the U.S. Air Force Academy Hospital. So it's the weird shit hospital. That's where you send your weird alien shit. And Jacob Carter. I looked up U.S. Air Force Academy and there is such a place. And it's located in Colorado Springs. So that's where the weird shit happens. Anyway, Jacob is there at the hospital. He's not looking good. He's in a hospital gown, all hooked up to oxygen and monitors. Hammond visits him and he tells Hammond that the cancer has spread to his liver. Hammond wants to recall Carter, but Jacob says no. He doesn't want his daughter to see him like this. She saw him leave quite a bit on, I guess, missions that he had when he was in Air Force something or other. General Hammond tells Jacob to cut the crap. And then Jacob still tries, he still tries to get Hammond to spill classified information about where his daughter is and what kind of stuff his daughter does. Yeah. And and you said last time, it's like totally inappropriate as a general to be trying to solicit information he's not entitled to from other Air Force members, even though it's his daughter, particularly subordinates, because that could come across like an order. You know, it doesn't feel appropriate to me. And I understand he's dying and he's like, all I want to do is know what she's doing. But yeah, I, I don't know that that really would happen. Even if you're dying, you're not like, hey, buddy, psst, psst. <laughs> tell me what's up. Back to the crystal tunnel. SG-1 is led into a large opening where we meet Garsha of bloat. <laughs> bloat. bloat. <laughs> you couldn't come up with something better than bloat. <laughs> Wait, what is it again? Let's see. I don't remember what she said. Say right. But it definitely sound like bloat. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Bloat. Like like I feel bloated because oh. it's my time of the month. Yes. Bloat. <laughs> Bellot. B-E-L-O-T-E. They couldn't they could make any imaginary word they could possibly think of. And they pick bloat. <laughs> well, Garsha too. Or is it Garshan? Gar- Garsha? Garsha, I think. Garsha. G-A-R-S-H-A-W is how it's spelled according to Stargate Wiki. Tilk says she is the most hunted Gaul of her time. So again, Tilk has heard of the Gaul <laughs> or the uh, Tok'ra. He has a lot of information about this Tok'ra. Yet sure, Tilk, they're still a myth. Yeah, their whole like, I have, yeah, the, the level of information, of intel he has, and yet the level of uncertainty that they exist don't really mix. Remember, we wanted them to do debrief Teal'c, too, like yes. a couple of episodes ago. Like, this is stuff he should have told SG-1. <laughs> oh, did anyone recognize Garsha? She looks familiar, but I can't place her. She's from Superman. 
Christopher Reeves, Superman. Sarah Douglas is the actor. Is she one of the bad? Remember there is, I think it was in like two or three. Superman was fighting like these three bad people in black and kind of shiny purple outfits. I want to say yes. Because then that outfit that she's wearing makes sense. Right? I don't know if that was her, but. She's also in strippers versus werewolves. Oh. I got to write that down. (laughs) In 2012. (laughs) Sounds like something I would watch. Not sure how that works. Well, you get like a hairy dude in the club (laughs) and that it's a full moon and he turns into a werewolf and then the strippers have to use like stilettos and champagne flutes to murder him. And maybe if you have silver on the bottom of your stiletto, right? Silver bullets kill werewolves. This this shit writes itself. <laughs> I think we should watch that and uh, review it in a separate podcast. Can you imagine making Rose watch 13 Ghosts? No. I would die. You would be horrifying. It was scary. Yeah, it wasn't really a good movie, but there were a couple ghosts that were absolutely frightening. There were breasts, though. Nice big breasts. Naked breasts or covered breasts? No, no, naked breasts. Covered breasts. Okay. That's, that's a, no that's... time for covered breasts. No, yeah. She wasn't <laughs> covered. time for covered breasts. But she was dead. She had killed herself. She was the lover, right? Yeah, but she looked great. <laughs> really big. <laughs> so, so I can watch this movie to see a corpse with nice breasts. Yes. It's kind of, a, okay, let's give me one reason to watch it. So Garshan asks SG-1 if they are the same ones who defeated Ra. She finally admits to them that they are the Tok'ra and that Tok'ra means against Ra. And it sounds like Daniel didn't realize that Tok'ra meant against Ra until right at that moment. Even though he speaks, what'd you say, Rose? Uniform yep. and um, a few other things. Ancient Egyptian. To name a few. On, you know, to name a few just on hand oh and um reads runes and stuff are we sure that her name is garshan it's garsha garsha okay because yeah. garshan is means boy so i don't think that that's yeah, garçon? Garçon. from french garçon? garçon i don't know it all sounds the same to me <laughs> a bloated boy i think that's what we're getting <laughs> out here <laughs> garsha asks about how jolinar died carter starts to tell them and Martouf looks, again, very interested. Back at the Air Force Academy Hospital. Jacob is definitely not doing well. They have to use the paddles on him to, I guess, revive him. The doctor tells Hamid that the time is near and they should gather the loved ones. Is this, is this what he said? He's either five days or five minutes. He doesn't know. Yeah. Something like that. A big yeah. difference. Or five, five seconds. Or five years. Yeah. <laughs> So is that how a defibrillator works? Like you're dead, they bzz, clear, bzz, clear, and then you're just like, oh, I'm awake. I feel fine. Isn't there stuff that goes on after that? I don't know. If you stay unconscious for a while. Okay. How about this? One of us needs to go to medical school and then we'll do a follow-up. <laughs> we'll just watch ER for a while. There you go. Watch a few episodes. That should be really enough to learn like how to practice medicine. Back to the crystal tunnels. It no longer looks like a friendly meet and greet. It looks like Carter is starting to defend herself a little bit. Garsha is asking her pointed questions about Jolinar's death. The other potholder guy, not Martouf, but I think his name is Kartesh. Kortesh. 
David Cortez. He asks yeah. Carter, how do we know that you didn't kill Jolinar? And Carter then says, well, because I didn't. <laughs> awesome answer, Carter. Did you expect him to go, oh, okay, great. Moving on then. Well, how would she have killed Jolinar if she was in her? She was lying about Jolinar being inside of her. So they killed her. Then how would she know stuff about the stuff that Jolinar knew? I guess they could have tortured Jolinar. But I don't think, I mean, I I would think that the Tok'ra would know that no amount of torture of Jolinar is going to bring any information. I think that all of this talk with Carter is really just to make her more open to the idea of being becoming a host. I, I don't think they really thought she killed her. I think they're just trying to keep them off balance a little bit. The Tok'ra guy asks... Why should we trust you? It's at this point when Jack has had enough. So we know that he has some underlying hostility toward something during this mission. And now it's starting to come out. He throws the question back at them. Why should we trust you? You are the Gaulds with your flashing eyes and the, the typical Gaould voice. Daniel tries to act the diplomat. Garsha says that the Gaould take hosts. The Tok'ra do not take hosts. Uh, the beings who are the Tok'ra hosts volunteer. SG-1 seems a little dubious about this. Daniel asks, why would a, ho- a human ever volunteer? Then Yusef appears. And Yusef is Garsha's host. And she sounds very girly. It's, it's quite a difference. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they could be faking. I'm not sure how that proves that they have a symbiotic relationship with their host. They, we've seen Gould fake like when, when Carter was inhabited by Jolinar, there was that whole debate about that moment where Carter comes out and says, please, Jack, she's telling the truth, if that was really Carter or Jolinar. And I think we settled on it was probably Jolinar, so they can fake it. So I'm not sure how that would prove anything, first of all. But the and- hosts do all seem to be like a little more like friendly than the, the Tok'ra. I absolutely hated that because <laughs> it's like Sybil, like 1980s, version of multiple personality disorder where you can just click in and out i'm just gonna put my head down and look i'm a new person right i never saw it that's what they thought multiple personality disorder was like literally you could you know slump down in a chair and all of a sudden you're three years old and i mean later on they start talking about mental health stuff like schizophrenia and stuff like that which is also about that but it just felt so so stupid i was angry so would you how would you have preferred they differentiate between the host and the symbiote i think it would have been better if everybody's voice was gaul deep and when their their voluntary hosts come they allow their voluntary hosts to take over then you can have like a regular human or whatever voice but how would they do the transition? Not like this. It should be more physical. It shouldn't just be like, I'm going to close my eyes and put my head down. Like, wh- what is what did that do? This is a sci-fi show, right? So put in some fucking sci-fi. Do something <laughs> unusual. Do something crazy. What is the point of closing your eyes and putting your head down? Why don't you just switch? Turn into goop. And then the goop uh, comes back together as a human or whatever. I think it would have been a more tougher acting choice or more complicated. Like had they just like, you're right. Had they just switched without, or maybe had the eyes flash, which is a special effect. And 
the switch isn't signaled by the putting your head down and closing your eyes. It's just signaled by the change in how the actor displays the character. That might have been more interesting. So each actor would give the transition their own spin. Yeah. And like you really had to, to had to just differentiate. Like you wouldn't have had a clear like, oh, this is Garshaw talking. This is whoever her host name is talking. It's more like you kind of had to figure out who's talking based on the acting choices to make a different person. Yeah. I don't know. I also think that there would have been more melding of the personalities. Like they really stick to it being two distinct people sharing a body. And I think when you share a body with someone, like your mannerisms are going to blend together. Your thought processes are going to blend together. I mean, even married couples do this and they're not sharing a body. Like you start taking on each other's way of talking, way of thinking, way of acting. Like I think each host is going to change the symbiote and vice versa. And it they didn't really seem to engage with that too much. Like I don't think the personalities would have been that different. I would want the transition to make sense biologically, though. And I don't think a flashing of eyes would do it. Why would a flashing of eyes be a biological response to changing from the host to the gold and back again, or the host to the snake and back again? So it kind of made sense to me that the host would relinquish the body, which is why the head would kind of fall down a bit. And then two seconds later, the snake would then come out and the head would come back up. Crumbling into dust. I don't understand the biology behind that. That, that, that. Even though it would look cool. But yeah, I would need it to make sense though. What if your head spun all the way around like three times and when it popped back? That it, is a hard movie. But why? It's, it's cool. It's sci-fi. It's not supposed to necessarily make sense. I think it's supposed to make sense somehow on some level. So Yusuf explains that with the blending, which is what they call it, the host gains all the knowledge and experience of the symbiote and lives longer than a typical human. Jack brings up a, what does he say, a Faustian bargain? And everyone looks shocked because they didn't know that, that Jack knew about that literary reference. There was something, we talked about Faustian bargains before. I think it was Daniel who brought him up when the, for the Jaffa. And we agree that he was completely wrong that that's not a Faustian bargain. This seems a little bit more on point but they say well nobody sells your soul your soul is intact and so they live what like 200 years now instead of 100 years i'm pretty sure they later are not consistent about that yeah when we see the old lady laying on this lab they want carter or somebody on the team to be her next voluntary host and that's for the symbiote as the host breaks down after their 200 years or whatever their lifespan the Tok'ra goes goes on, the symbiote goes on as long as they can find another host. So potentially, I guess they could, the actual Tok'ra could actually live for, it could be infinity. So it's this symbiotic relationship that makes the Tok'ra different from the Ga'uld. And it makes it difficult for the Tok'ra to fight the Ga'uld. They don't live as long as the Ga'uld because they don't use a sarcophagus. And they don't take hosts by force, so their numbers don't really grow. Yusef shows them what she means in the form of Selmak, who is an old dying woman. Selmak is the symbiote, and Sarush is the host. She is very important, and she is very ill and will soon die. She's still quite feisty, though. So this is when the shit gets real, because Yusef and Martouf are both hinting that Selmak needs a host. And there are three perfectly fine humans standing right there. Jack takes a pass. Daniel says it sounds fascinating, but too long term for him. 
And Carter looks like she swallowed a lemon and is about to puke all over the place. She says she's sorry, but she's already been through that. And she leaves to go play in some water. Remember, one of the Tok'ra said that the sarcophagus will drain the love from, from their hearts. That's why they don't use it. And Daniel says, I can vouch for that. And then Silk gives like this side eye. Like, we know you're addicted. The nod to his recovery. That's right. Staying clean and sober. So next we see Carter. She She's playing by herself with some water from a trough or a bathtub. What is this thing? It's a hot tub. Why not? Sure. They, they, they have no doors and no privacy, right? So they obviously all get, like, get naked in front of each other. Orgies and hot tubs? Okay. I think they probably, yeah, they probably have orgies. That sounds awesome. <laughs> That's why they're doing this. <laughs> you have no part because you're already, your whole body, like every time you go to the bathroom, every time you do any kind of intimate act that you usually do in private, someone's always with you. I can see how you're like, well, what's the point of doors? I never would have thought of that. I've watched this episode like 10 times. <laughs> Had not thought of that. Thank you, Rose, for that. Leave it to me to, to always bring it into the gutter. So Martouf sneaks up behind Carter. Jack, Daniel, and Teal'c then join them. Jack points out that Jolinar took Carter by force, although Carter says Jolinar intended to leave her for another host. Jack adds, if he found one. Do you think that's true? Do you think Jolinar would have found another host? I think Jolinar would have taken another host or, and or would have left Carter once the crisis was over had she not wanted to continue. But that doesn't excuse the violation. Like Carter's very much like always apologizing for Jolinar and I get why you know like she's kind of confronted with all these memories of her and I think it it's it would be hard to sort of think of her as a bad but what she did was very violating and I think Jack is much more willing to be angry at Jolinar than Carter is on her behalf. So Yusuf also joins them and Yusuf wants to know why they sought out the Tok'ra if they didn't want to be hosts. Daniel says well we wanted to form some kind of alliance with you. Garsa, Garsha, Garsa, Son. No, not Garson. <laughs> now that you've said Garson, I want to say Garson. Garsha. Garson. Isn't Garson the villain in Beauty and the Beast? Yes, it was. Garson. <laughs> so Garshan then appears and says no. And she basically implies that the humans are weak and stupid and we don't want to have any kind of alliance with you. Tilk tries to defend the Tauri by pointing out that SG-1 or some subset of SG-1 disabled Apophis's ship. That does not do the trick. Garshan becomes very angry and tells them that they had Tok'ra operatives on the ship. If that's the case, then why weren't the Tok'ra operatives helping them out? That's a good point. So Carter says we were just defending our planet. Yusuf appears again and says, oh, I see. Thanks so much for telling us. We didn't know. Very weird. There's some kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on with Gershon and Yusuf. It's like good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Yusuf says she'll try to convince the council, and then she walks off. Uh, two potholder guards then take their station, and SG-1 realizes they are prisoners. Then Martouf asks Carter out. Aw, isn't that sweet? Jack says what? Then... Jack's like, let's all go. That's fun. Martouf then says, I'm only inviting Captain Carter, not you. He says it's a private matter. I hope you understand. Jack does not understand at all. He looks more confused than mad at this point. And then Carter says she wants to go with them. She needs to go with them. She needs it. 
Uh, and then Jack cracks a joke about having her back by 11 p.m. And Martouf looks very confused. Okay. Is Jack being protective of his team member or is he being jealous? Oh, he's both? jealous. He's jealous at this point. I think <laughs> when he gets when he gets uncomfortable, which and, and that's and the jealousy makes him uncomfortable, he starts cracking, you know, dad jokes. Like have her back by 11 p.m., Sonny, that kind of a thing. So it's that he doesn't want her connecting with another man, not that he's afraid that something might happen to her. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I would say like 30, 70. 74, you're taking my woman. <laughs> 34, <laughs> this is my team member and I need to take care of them. So we're back on the surface. We see Martouf and Carter walking in the dunes. We find out that Jolinar only took female hosts and that the symbiote in general has no gender whatsoever. So first of all, just the biological sex issue. So all ghouls are agendered, but there's some ghouls that birth babies. So those ghouls are female or what we would typically call female, I guess, right? So everything else is just agendered or like some ghouls fertilize those female baby pepper outers. So are those any other like, so are they what we would call male because any of those could be fertilizers or is that only some could be baby pepper outers and some could be fertilizers and the rest are sterile apparently. That sounds like ants. Maybe it's like an ant situation. Or like bees, right? Yeah, bees. Yeah. yeah. Where there's like the queen, I guess the inseminators and then everything else are like sterile workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the drones. I hear where you're coming from, Rose. <laughs> but we're going in that line of thinking. Supposedly, the Tokra are all sterile. They can't have kids. So they would be genderless. They can have preferences. But what pissed me off was hearing Martooth. I mean, he clearly says that they don't have gender. And then he's quick to say that Jolinar was a she and she always took female hosts. It felt very 90s version of a no homo situation. Like he was very quick to be like, oh, but she was a woman. Well, what it reminded me of, Sam, remember that Star Trek Next Generation episode, the gay episode where Riker falls for this person who identifies as female on an androgynous planet and people who identify as male or female are sort of seen as outcasts, right? Because it's they, they're striving to the androgynous ideal. And so the whole point is a very thinly veiled um, commentary on the way that we treat gender nonconforming and gay people in our society. But it was done in such a heterosexist way that it felt ridiculous and almost offensive. Like, so they're androgynous, that's their ideal. And and um, sort of the opposite, like not having non-binary is the ideal and then having being a binary is seen as outcast. So those people that were binary only sought coupling with opposite sex. And that was part of the thing. And I'm like, so you're commenting, you're, you're trying to support gay people and talk about discrimination about gay people, but do it in such a way that reinforces heterosexist normal, heterosexist norms. And this felt exactly the same way. It's like, we have this opportunity here to really play with gender, to talk about, or to flesh out a society where gender isn't fixed in the way that it typically is seen in our society. And we just will blow that opportunity entirely and instead like revert to the most cliched, you know, male, female romantic love things we could do. 
Yeah, I don't think Stargate was trying to add to the commentary about gender issues with with the Tok'ra or this episode. That Star Trek episode you referenced, yes, they were. They were trying to do that very thing. They did it clumsily. It was awful. This episode and the episodes that deal with Tok'ra, they don't even try to do that. It's a definitely a missed opportunity, but it is something that was born from the 90s. Because today, oh my God, yeah. what could happen with, with this kind of storyline? Wonderful episodes about gender issues, about gender fluidity. I hear where you're coming from, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if you don't want to address it, I understand this, but this was, this episode did come out, I believe in 1999. So we're almost 2000s. Gender issues were an issue. But if you don't want to address it, then don't address it. Why are we even talking about this? Martooth can later talk about, you know, how much he loved Jolinar, right? We don't need to talk about why Jolinar usually takes female hosts. It reduces Jolinar and Martooth's relationship to simply they're kind of like their body parts. But what we know that Carter has told us is she has this feeling that was left in her from Jolinar. There, what it was like a soulmate kind of feeling with Martooth that lingers inside of her. That is genderless. So, like, don't even address it. Just skip all this bullshit and talk about what you love about your soulmate. Well, and if you're gonna have this, you know, hetero cisgender normative approach to this. You know, Miss Opportunity, fine. It's the 90s. Ellen coming out was like, what, fucking international news at this time. Okay, fine. We talked about how Jolinar went into Carter, not because she decided that she wanted to be in this beautiful woman as a host. She went into because she was giving mouth to mouth to the guy she was in, who was a man. And that's, this was her only opportunity. Had she stayed in that man, and that man later found Martuf, or had she gone into Daniel and Daniel now found Martuf, would Martuf be having the same intimate, I love you, Jolinar, you're my soulmate conversation with Daniel? I think if this tr- the show was being true to itself, it he would, right? If it was being true to the storyline, maybe Jolinar preferred woman host, but every now and then found herself in a male host and that love would continue and they'd have a, what we would call a homosexual relationship and that would be fine. But I just can't see that. And I, I, Daniel might even lean into it because being the student of human nature that he is, he might, you know, be like, sure, let's try this. But it, I, it just can't see that happening. What if they also take on the gender identity of the, like, because there are goals that sort of go between male and female hosts, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes out of preference. If they're, if they're agendered by nature, they wouldn't have a gender identity. And so do they take on the gender identity? Whereas if like they're in a female host, they're like, they want to just be as... I guess, femme and like spectacular uh, female as they could be. And if they're in a male host, they go the other way. Like, because they are, they, the Gould Society is also very sexist and very gendered and which is an odd choice for genderless beings. And so is it that they adopt the, the gender identity of the host, in which case the host survives, in which case the host is influencing the Gould personality? Or is it just sort of like part of their power grab thing? It's like anytime they have the opportunity to oppress somebody, they take it. That's how I feel. So you have some, you have a symbiote with no gender jumping into a host that has gender, then I would think that you would just take on those characteristics, take on that person has lived, the host has lived as this sex for 
their entire lives, right? Before you jump in. So you would naturally, I think part of that melding would produce those kind of traits in the symbiote while the symbiote's in there. Let's go back to Apophis and Sheree slash Amonet. Why is Amonet his subservient queen? She's also a ghoul. They're non-gendered. What makes him the king and her the queen? Sexism? <laughs> yeah, but how could you be sexist against something that doesn't have a gender? A plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> An enormous plot hole. Or maybe it's that the ghoul, when taking human hosts, saw that the men were the most powerful in these ancient human societies or, or the, the ones that seemed to have the, the most power and influence and control. And they were like, we want those guys because they seem to be the ones in charge. Carter talks about Jelinar and Martuf continues to look sad. Then Martuf's symbiote, Lantash, appears. We find out from Lantash that he and Jolinar were together for almost a hundred years and that Jolinar was Lantash's mate. Okay, so it's Lantash and Jolinar that are together, right? Not Jolinar and Martuf. Or is this a threesome? No, foursome? Yeah, foursome. It's a foursome. It's yeah. a foursome. So, yeah, so every time you have sex with your partner, it's a foursome. That's kind of crowded. It's a crowded relationship. And who has control over what? Does someone have control <laughs> over this hand and the other one has control over this hand? I mean... I wonder if they could do that. Like when they're having sex, you mean like who's actually doing the moves? Exactly. Well, I think that you can only have one in the forefront at any one time. So I think you start having sex with your partner, you're in the quadruple, and then you nod off just like Sam likes, you nod off and give the other two a chance to get down. And then you nod off again. (laughs) That's a lot of work. Well, everybody should ex- have some fun, right? Or maybe one person's like, I'm too tired tonight. You do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got a headache. <laughs> I'm just going to hang back. Right, maybe it's like a, a tap out type thing. It's not like I'm going to, um, we're going to have sex and I want you to have an opportunity. It's more like I'm tired. I've been thrusting this whole time. <laughs> tap out, tap out. And the other one jumps in. Oh, tap out, tap out. Then they nod off. And then the other one comes in. And then like um Martooth then gets like a nap, a little short cat nap, and then waits for his next turn. Does the stuff stay hard while you're nodding out? No. Yeah. No, not under my theory. Because you're you're basically withdrawing from the body. So it's like a softening. So everything would go limp. Yes. And you have Literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah, you have to start all over. It's way too many blowjobs for me. <laughs> but they'd last longer, perhaps. If you keep I taking think, turns. Yeah. I think you would you would just go with like a Viagra or something or something, right? So that you didn't nothing, even though the person is nodding off, it would still you still go at it. <laughs> they really could have explored that a little bit more. I think their viewers would have appreciated some 101 gold or toker sex. Stargate reboot. It's all got to be in there. <laughs> this is when we find out that Lantash and Jolinar are together. They're soulmates. You know, I would expect Carter to have already realized this because she knew that there was some kind of special relationship going on here. And she had to have felt these squishy romantic feelings that they had for each other but she looks genuinely surprised when lantash reveals this so martu comes back or nods back 
and he attempts some kind of explanation. The host and the symbiote symbiote feel the same. But what if one of them doesn't like the other person's choice? Or yeah, or what if the host and the symbiote don't like each other and want to get a divorce? I'm sure that's got to happen sometime. Or it's yeah. just, the melding is not good. This reminds me very much of the Trill situation in Star Trek. I wonder which one came first. Well, I think Star Trek came first. But, right? Deep Space Nine. I mean, the, the original Trill on The Next Generation was was early 90s. And then they reimagined the Trill in Deep Space Nine. And we start to learn about Jolinar's ho- host, her previous host, Rosha. And of course, she's utterly beautiful with blue eyes, blonde hair. An infectious smile. I hate her already. <laughs> and the Rosha looked like Carter, which is yeah, kind of what we figured. Martu tells Carter she's very beautiful and that she would make an excellent host for Selvak, which immediately kills the mood. This is so vomit-inducing. Yes, Amanda Tapping is the personification of American beauty standards. I'm okay with that. But the fact that Martuth who is genderless, is like, hubba hubba, you're so hot. Why don't you take over one of these hosts so we can be together? Is like, puke. And like, if let's say Jolinar survived and went into like Hammond. Would he get it on with Hammond? Because he loves Jolinar so much and wants her to be in his life? He should. He <laughs> should be able to. But I think Martooth is a fucking homophobe. <laughs> That's what I think. Carter again says no, and that she probably couldn't handle another person or symbiote inside her. To his credit, Martouf says he's sorry and admits he just wants Jolinar back. Carter says this is probably what schizophrenia feels like. And then she gives an explanation for schizophrenia, which I don't think is exactly correct. (laughs) It's not even a little bit correct. It's not remotely correct. This is fucking bananas. This is bananas. I think if she if she wants to liken the situation to a mental health mental illness, I think the closest would maybe be like multiple personality disorder, which is not called that anymore. Dissociative identity disorder. Right. Schizophrenia is not having multiple personalities in a body. It's somebody who experiences delusions. This is like a a 90s understanding of mental illness, quote unquote, split personality. That's why I'm still I'm still mad at you, Sam, for thinking that you can nod off because that's literally what they do in movies from like the 80s and 90s about dissociative identity disorder. But back then they called it like split personality. Carter says she feels the the deep feelings for Martouf as if she is feeling them herself. She also is awestruck at how long they have been in love and how intensely they loved each other. Martouf says, maybe there's another way we can feel that love other than words. I expected at this point that he would try to kiss her, but no, he wanted to touch yeah, did, her hands. I was going to say, did he mean let's get it on or was there some kind of telepathy he's trying to initiate with her? I didn't know. When he, when he first said this, I thought he wanted to have sex with her. No, I think had they not been interrupted, he definitely would have put on the moves and be like, okay, well, you won't be a host, but we can still fuck. He was majorly a horn dog for her this whole time. Every time from the first moment she got in uh, onto this planet, he's like making eyes at her. And he's like, finally, I get you alone. Let's fuck by the dunes. Let's make love by the dunes. <laughs> the sunset. 
So he does not kiss her or throw himself on her. They play footsie with their fingers for a bit. And then Daniel shows up and asks Carter if she's learning a lot about Jolinar. Yes, Daniel, she is. Quite a lot, actually. Daniel says that the Tok'ra Council is ready to meet with them. Back in the Crystal Tunnels, Garshan explains that when they get to a new place, they plant the crystals and they grow into tunnels. Kortesh, yes, Kortesh, breaks off from the group and Jack follows him. Jack sees him messing around with a little silvery ball. Kortesh says these are his private quarters. And again, they have no doors. Because the topic, the, the concept of privacy doesn't exist, I guess, because you're always with somebody. How do they get any work done if they're if they're constantly seeing people have sex? <laughs> well, maybe. So do you think that they like they're like Martup and Jolinar who kind of like formed a couple or a quadruple and I guess have that like, had to have had sex all over the place that other people sees because they have no doors? Or is it just sort of group sex all the time? Or do you just be like, oh, those guys are doing their thing over there. Let's like do our work over here. <laughs> it wouldn't be distracting, I think. I would hope that they had like, like after dinner, you you get like an hour to digest and then it's just a full on orgy with everybody. And then then you stop. I don't know how long, maybe an hour. I don't know. How long do orgies usually go? Wait, for? wait. But but when you but we talked about this. You can go a long time if you have two people sort of manning the equipment, tapping out exactly. <laughs> but then then you when you're when everybody agrees that orgy time is over, then you get up and go back to work until bedtime. So a good time to attack would be during orgy time because nobody's doing anything else. Before we move on, what is that sphere that's in the it's box? Like, it's like it's like a, the Papas telephone television bulb in miniature form. Yeah, right? that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I wonder if he's using it to monitor Apophis or if he's like a double agent. Okay, back to Garshan in the hallway. She shows them the council chambers that are apparently being built as they walk in there because they didn't have any need for a council chambers. We meet the council of the Tok'ra, which is Kortesh and five other people. So there's six of them and I guess Garshan then casts the deciding vote if it's a tie. Lots of purple. She's, she's just way more dressed up than the other ones, though. But they all had purple on. They all had some kind of purple in their clothes. I don't think her dress is coming from Yusef, though. Yusef does not seem like the kind of purple, sparkly, lame person. She feels solidly overalls. Or like a calico dress or something with a bonnet. That's right. <laughs> so the council then does that thing that people do when they're trying to break bad news they start to explain their difficult position to sg1 that they are resistance cell operating within the gaul the council wants sg1 to explain exactly what they could contribute and to give examples daniel says that we have the same goals Carter comes up with technology, but the Tok'ra use Gaul tech to blend in, so that wouldn't work. Suddenly, there's a disturbance. Martouf whispers something to Garshan and gets all flashy-eyed. SG-3 walks in. Colonel Makepeace is the head of SG-3. He does not look very peaceful. He's there to extract Carter. Her father's condition is serious. Jack tells Garshan that they have to let Carter go. Gershon says that they can't allow her to leave because they are not they are not accepting SG1's offer of an alliance. And SG1 and SG3 are now their prisoners until they decide to move again. Jack is upset. Daniel tries to convince them otherwise. Carter looks stricken, especially when Kartesh says that Carter is the biggest security threat since she knows so much about Jolinar. 
Tilk points out that the rest of the Tauri know about this planet and the and the Tokra. Garshan hopes that the rest of the Tauri will think that SG-1 and SG-3 were all killed and that the Tokra were only just a myth. Jack says that kind of sucks, which it does. Uh, Garshan says, we'll try to make you as comfortable as possible and then walks out. <laughs> and they're all stuffed in this room and I don't see any beds. So I'm not sure how comfortable they're going to be. They can have a big giant orgy now. <laughs> all eight of them. <laughs> With one girl, Carter? That's going to be really hard on Carter. <laughs> It's the military. They can make do. So it sounds like they're going to be there for a while. And we get the to be continued words right under Carter's very sad face. I think that Daniel will try to help them get off the planet as fast as possible. And Carter gets to see her dad and say like one or two things before he passes away. But Martouche, Martouche is going to be sad. Martouf? Martouf. Martouf is going to be sad. Okay, so Malika has told us what she thinks will happen. So at the end of every episode, we give a rating. Zero or one if we hated it. Seven or eight if we loved it. So Malika, what is your rating? So I like Martooth. No, 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 no. I like the actor who plays Martooth. Because as soon as I saw him, I ran to the internet and I found that video or sorry from the movie 13 ghosts where he gets sliced in half and that made me very happy so martooth as the character or as the actor he bumped this up from a zero to a one <laughs> really that low i had a lot of anger about how they portrayed somebody who is who is genderless my my rating is a six <laughs> and i think once again is going to I know try to slap me to this computer but but let me let me qualify that six it's six based on the potential in this episode I would have given it a seven I'm going to dock at a point because it's not awakened it's still steeped in the 90s even though it's late 90s but I recognize the potential for the storylines that could come from this type of situation a resistance cell of the gauld we have non-binary beings. There's there's so many wonderful stories that can come from that that would both celebrate and uh, give voice to a lot of people. So I'm giving it a high score because of what it can become if Stargate gets a reboot. Interesting approach. I'm going to give it a 4.5. I totally understand the criticisms, Malika, and I share the criticisms. It just doesn't kill the episode as for me as much. Also, because I, I think it's really important to get introduced to the Tok'ra. They sort of develop from here moving forward. So I And we get introduced to a lot of characters who we may revisit. And I think we kind of are covering the how it's different right now. I, I agree that it was completely missed opportunity. I think, I think making the Tok'ra and Ghoul Society genderless would have been a fantastic way to explore which is what sci-fi is supposed to do, explore things, like give a, a way to explore what a genderless society would look like, particularly when interacting with human society, both in an oppressive way like the Gould and in, a, I guess, a more communi community-oriented way like the Chokra. And it was just a completely blown opportunity that I hope if the, a reboot is in the cards would be handled differently moving forward. Join us next time for episode 12 of season two, the Tokra part two. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.
know. They probably have orgies. Oh, yeah. Please like us. Oh, and follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole or Twitter at Probing the Wormhole or Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also get in touch with us at our website, probingthewormhole.com.